You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 341 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I shall be your host this evening. I hope you follow me on X, Born Alchemist, and uh, on uh, YouTube and uh, Rumble. And I have uh, been working on this alchemy series, The History of Alchemy, and I will start releasing it on all those channels in March, so stay tuned for that. Now, in this episode, my guest is Vanessa. She's originally from Belgium and has spent the past 24 years living in the remote regions of Colombia, with the last seven years being nestled in the heart of the jungle in Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy. I like your podcast very much. So can you... Tell a bit about who you are and, and what you do. Well, my name is Vanessa Gaksh. I'm from Belgium originally, and I've been in Colombia for 24 years. And uh, I, I do a lot of things. I, I've done a lot of different things. I don't have like a specific thing that I do. Uh, I, I was doing some sculpture when I came to Colombia, and then I did documentaries and worked with hip hop, and then we started a a small grassroots organization, and we organize some electronic music events and electronic art events. And then uh, it all kind of decanted into a, a band called Sistema Solar, which uh, we put together with uh, you know guys from the hip hop scene, friends from the Bogo tracks, uh, electronic rave scene, and um, the man Juan Carlos who became my partner as a producer and me as the VJ because I don't make music I make visuals and uh, we created Sistema Solar which took a lot of our time for 10 years and it became pretty success successful so we we toured and it's like it was this this music project um, you know electronic music mixed with um, um, like traditional Colombian music from the coast and like a, like really like intense visuals with the kind of documentary style visuals and really great lyrics by two you know rappers very polit you know socially conscious so that was like took a lot of our time and and energy for 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 those 10 years and then with my partner we had some kids during that time and then we moved to the coast to the coast of Colombia, the Caribbean coast of Colombia, so that's the north of Colombia, to this area called Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta. And there um, we we decided to go live in the forest and kind of set up, a, you know, live far away from, from everything and, and learn to kind of live that way, which has become kind of our main project, kind of raising our kids there. And we, we ended up making a, a school and that's what we do now. <laughs> is it uh, easy for a, a foreigner to to blend in there in Colombia, or, or do they think uh, do you have to overcome this uh, gringo uh, obstacle? 
because uh, or I don't know what you look like, so maybe it's because I, I've I've had that problem when I've been in in Latin America a bit. I mean, I'm definitely look like a gringo. There's even if I've been here t- 24 years, but I mean, in general, Colombia is a country with you know very different looking people. There's a lot of Afros, a lot of indigenous, very white people. So anybody who comes from from the city, if you come from the city or if you come from Europe, if you go to the countryside, you're kind of a foreigner, you know, even if you're Colombian, because you're like a city person and you have that, you dress a different way and the, your whole culture is different. But um, when I came to Colombia 24 years ago, there was no tourism and there was no, you know, it was like a, co- a country on shutdown. So at that at, at that moment, it was very, you know, everybody always asked a lot of questions, but now there's a lot more tourism, so people aren't so, you know, so so surprised unless you go to certain areas where they don't see a lot of foreigners. It's true. It's it's uh, Colombia has a more positive uh, um, reputation today, but if you went there 24 years ago, then it really had a really bad reputation. Did, were you uh, even true or not? But did you think about that when you went there or did you just ignore that? Yeah, I liked it. I liked that because I, I figured there was no tourists <laughs> and, um, you know, it was like a mystery country, really underground and no tourism. And, and I really, it, it, you know, it triggered my curiosity. And the people who travel a lot around South America, they always spoke really highly of Colombia. So that's why I came here. And um, and I really found an incredible country that was so inspiring. Colombia is so inspiring, you know. It's just full of life, and just you, it makes you want to do things and create. And I don't know, it's just very, you know, effervescent. And so, um, did you learn the language uh, before or when you were there? I lived in Mexico for six years before coming to Colombia. So I learned in Mexico, and then I came here. So here I had to kind of learn the the this the a different way of uh of humor a different humor but i already spoke spanish mm-hmm. and my kids were born here and my husband is from here and people kind of consider me from here because i've been here so long and they're not you know they're not very they don't have a lot of prejudices against uh, foreigners or anything like that they're pretty open i noticed that you mentioned you lived uh, was in an area where there was the kogi people yeah, right now we've been living for the past eight years in Sierra Nevada, Santa Marta. So that's the big, the mountain in the world that that is highest right next to the sea. So it's 5,700 meters and it's like, it's separated from the Andes and it's right on the Caribbean. So you're on the, when you're on the Caribbean on the beach, you can see the snow caps. And um, there's four indigenous tribes in this, in this mountain, the Kogi. The Arhuaco, the Wiwa, and the Canquamo. And uh, we live on a river where there's a Kogi and Arhuaco people territory. Yeah, I saw that documentary, Aluna, about the Kogi people. I thought it was very interesting. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. It's beautiful. Is it like that in, in real life as well? Because sometimes, you know, movies can twist things. But uh, do you have the same impression you would get from the Kogi Absolutely. I mean, where we live is only one hour away from the highway. 
walking. So if you go up the mountain, you can, from, from where we live, you can continue to walk up the mountain for like three, four days. So the higher you go, the further away from civilization and it becomes more traditional. But uh, the, I think that the Kogi are definitely some of the last uh, indigenous people that are still, um, you know, really autonomous. They're, first of all, they're not Christian. They're not, they haven't been um, turned over to Christianity and, they're, and they're, they still hardly depend at all on any on money. So they make their own houses, um, they, they, they grow their own crop, they even make their own clothes somewhat. Um, you know, they still know about their medicine and, and above and foremost, the most important thing for them is the, all of the spiritual work that they do. So it's really an incredible people to be around and to, to see that this still exists. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, do any of the indigenous groups uh, in your area use any plants or mushrooms or anything like that? <clears throat> uh, no, in the Sierra Nevada, they use coca. They, the men chew coca, chew coca leaves. That's their, uh, that's their plant that they use. And then uh, to get to like, um, as an alter, like to be able to reach altered states, what they do is they stay up. They'll, they have reunions for like one night, two nights, three nights, four nights. And that's although all, all of the adults stay up together and, and talk all night. <clears throat> and that's how they, they go into altered states, I think. I haven't participated in these reunions. <laughs> it's pretty tough. I always wondered, I've tried uh, coca leaves uh, when I've been high up in, in Peru and that uh, it does help with uh, altitude but I always wondered if you uh, use coca leaves uh, like in that way as you describe because uh, I've never tried cocaine and I'm wondering if the doing it the natural way with the coca leaves uh, if if that has a different effect than the more synthetic cocaine version I mean, it gives you a little, you know, you, you have more strength. I mean, when you're chewing coca, you're, you can go work. It's really good for working in the fields or walking or just if you're sleepy <clears throat> and also for talking. It makes you more aware and able to talk, but it's something very subtle. It'll never be like cocaine, which is like an, an exaggerated version of this. It doesn't make you as like aggressive or cocky as it can <laughs> no no not never not at all so which area you mentioned you lived in mexico six years where were you there in mexico i was uh in tasco guerrero going to art school and then i was in tepoztlan which is south of mexico city and then in mexico city in the center so you, you were never that far down where chiapas in that area no 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 i was more central Okay. I've always been fascinated when I was younger. I read a lot about the Zapatistas and I was, was fascinated with the Chiapas area because it was also a, this autonomous kind of thing. Or they were trying to make it that way anyway. Yeah, there's uh, areas like that in Colombia too. In the south, there's a, a really big movement of indigenous resist resistance from the Nasa people in Cauca. They have, they're, they're, they're really tough, you know, trying to keep 
get their lands back <clears throat> and uh, have the government you know pay attention to them right now we have a, a, a left-wing government in colombia so it's like a, never happened before in the history of colombia practically so that's that's brought a lot of hope to everybody you know and uh, there's a lot of, they're trying to do a lot of work i'm not really up on what they're ha doing well or not doing well etc i'm not paying too much attention to it because i'm just kind of living in in my little jungle but um it's been you know very very good for for colombia this 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 new government i mean this this guy petro he really knows you know he really like if you hear him talk he really understands like all the problems of of colombia and the world and what has to get done and and he's really for the people and um and you know trying to get the land back because colombia is a country where you have a landowners that have thousands and thousands and thousands of acres and people working on them like if, if it was still you know the fuel times in Europe so that's pretty that's pretty good and he's trying to you know uh, change the the health so that there's, there's better health for everybody better education you know lots of he's a he's a he's a great guy I don't know if he's going to be able to do everything he wants to do because there's a lot of resistance from the the you know the the oligarchy here but um he's trying <laughs> he's trying do they do like drug cartels still have power in Colombia or, or have they weakened No the the big drug cartels they're gone they're in Mexico United States and um there's a uh, here but you still have paramilitary and you have a lot of uh, little little armies everywhere right with the drug trafficking i mean what colombia really needs is for cocaine to become legal because that'll end like half of the problems in colombia there's two uh, because this the, the fact that cocaine is illegal just makes it so valuable which it should not be and um there's all these people fighting over the, the territory and the trafficking and ta 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 and so yeah we still have that a lot of that <clears throat> and um but the coca leaves are legal coca leaves in colombia yes I, i i mean you can have 20 plants in your house that's legal it's just cocaine even you know personal a personal dose of cocaine is legal in colombia it's just big exporting it it's, it's illegal in the united states it's illegal in europe that's why it's so expensive and i mean it's not because cocaine is legal in in colombia that there's a more drug addicts <laughs> it's just it's really cheap and it's and it's uh practically legal and there's not more cocaine heads or crackheads than anywhere else it doesn't really make a difference no, no i always say the reason i'm not a heroin addict is not because it's illegal <laughs> you know so It's completely irrelevant in a way. You mentioned, are you trying to live like your own self-sustained way, community or house? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, we 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 didn't go with a you know like a a plan, but the idea was to go live in the jungle, and preferably with a group of friends. But we we never were able to really construct a good community. But still, um, we've been there for eight years, and the community has come and gone. People come and go, other people. 
and uh, the community became our neighbors, our Kogi neighbors, our, our Arawako neighbors. And um, it's been like a really interesting experience because uh, of all of the um, experience, yeah, acquired through this process. I was listening to your podcast the other day about prepping, you know, like we're definitely not ready for the collapse but I think that we're so much more advanced than a lot of people because of what we live there. And um, I think that that's, that's, you know, really interesting. And we're really interested in letting other people have that experience with us, you know, inviting other people to, to be able to learn a little bit about it because we're, I mean, we're surrounded by the Kogi and Arawako people, which are some, some of the few people in the world who still, you know, live, make their own houses i mean they practically make a house with a machete like three guys three machetes and like maybe like a, a metal thing to make holes in the ground they'll make a house in in two weeks you know and um and they grow their own crop and they do everything themselves and that's just it's just it's it's just incredible to see that right there and yeah, they, they don't even need to prep <laughs> like, no they don't need just... to prep they're ready no. <laughs> they're ready. I mean, they're the ones who's going to, they're not going to change anything. I mean, the only things that they buy is like um, rubber boots, machetes, uh, like pans, pots and pans. And of course, the what the, the thing that you, you have, a, what's it called, that you cut trees with that has a motor, chainsaws, right? But um. I mean, of course, they'll have a little bit of a hard time if they don't have a machete anymore. But they'll figure it out, you know. They'll get some old pieces of iron and 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 make it into a machete or something. But it's just incredible. I mean, how how they're able to and and how efficient they are. You know, I'm I'm so I admire like the efficiency. There's no. It's been such an interesting reflection to see, you know, how they just they do everything. Minimum. Uh, waste of uh, energy and maximum maxi maximum results. So, you know, the way that they make the roof is not going to be aesthetic. So they're not going to think about aesthetics. They're going to think about how it's how how it's going to be used and how how little energy they need to make it. And everything is like that. So even the food, you know, let's make a big soup for everybody instead of all these complicated dishes. You know, there's only one glass. We're so complex. We have like glasses for everything. Uh, for coffee, we have a different cup than if we're drinking wine or if we're drinking water or if we're drinking whiskey. So you know, there's all of this, you know, complexity and in, in our lifestyle, they, it's, it's gone. And so it's like back to like very basic. And so that's, that's even, that's a mindset that's so interesting. And what they spend most of their time on the, where they are so refined is in the spiritual work that they do. That's what they, they spend all this extra energy that they have is making offerings to nature and in, 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 in communal conversations. So, so this efficiency makes them have more free time, you mean? <clears throat> well, I mean, they, they, I mean, they don't, they have, I mean, it's hard work. Their life is hard. And if you are not, born into it uh, trained since you're a child to work that hard it's probably going to be really hard 
but they still have a lot enough free time and then it's an admirable how they do everything like very they're very calm you know they're never rushing they're just like super calm doing everything very calmly analyzing everything that they're going to do with a lot of time thinking about everything that they're going to do before they do it and thinking about everything that they have done after they have done it when i've done hard work uh, like uh... Uh, I, I remember when I was younger, I used to be a, a mailman. And when there was like a lot of mail and it was winter, it was like a lot of hard work. But then when I've done hard work in my garden, it was equally hard, but it was more fulfilling and satisfying because you were working on your own land. So I, I imagine like ha- hard work is not uh, bad if maybe if you... Uh, enjoy it if you know what I mean like if if you do hard work in a factory that could be not so good for the soul you know yes absolutely I mean everything that they do is is for themselves or for somebody close to them and it's it's all has a very clear purpose and which is what you know people have been robbed of sometimes in our societies you know people who have to work all of their lives doing something that they that is just so mechanical and it doesn't fill them. That's that's such a uh, such a sad thing. When it comes to prepping, I uh, I think uh, it's it's not that important if you feel you haven't prepped enough. Because I think just the fact that you are prepping with your mind uh, is going to make a big difference. I think if there is some sort of a disaster of some sort where society falls apart uh, most people will will uh, fail because of the mental shock so i i think uh, just by being mentally prepared is uh, is almost half of it or if not more yeah absolutely because people have no idea <laughs> a lot of people have they just People think everything's going to continue as as it is now, and I start. I think about, for example, my children. What what should they, you know, what should my or myself or my children? What should we? What kind of job should we have now? Which what how should we generate income, right? Because we're living in a world that can maybe continue as it is for for a while, or it might just collapse and there might not be money anymore, right? So what kind of um, what kind of jobs should 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 they do or should we do you know what kind of things will will work today and will also work if there's no money what are those things that are those that are absolutely necessary like for example the the capacity to make food or to transform food or to make medicine or to make oils those are things that today you can you can generate an income but also in a society that collapses will give you an income so that's the kind of thing that also we're thinking about like um you know for the youths that 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 are coming up or carpentry wow carpentry is such a useful skill <laughs> it's incredible yes very i'm trying to like hedge my bets because you don't know uh, so uh, so i i'm trying to get my kids to both learn uh, how to make a fire and that kind of thing, but also to be 
to understand computers and technology because if if it doesn't fall apart then it's going to be a very digital world and I always think that in such a world if you have hacker skills that's also a good skill to have you know probably yeah Uh, if it becomes like a totalitarian digital world then a hacker is very powerful that's true that's so true yes Um, and kids learn computers so easy so uh, uh, it's they they pick up everything quick and engineering skills you know because if like like the capacity to recycle and construct new machines and you know with everything that's our that's around will be so important in the future recycling everything into new things and so that's a lot of engineering engineering is great it's always useful if it's not too complex and um yeah one of the things that we that we have learned also in the forest is is a uh, something that you know few people talk about which is uh medical sovereignty you know people are every day more dependent on um hospitals and drugs and and it's so important to to also be able to cure oneself and that's been a you know since we're an hour away from the road and three hours from the hospital when we've had medical emergencies we've had to deal with them and and that's been a great school because you don't want to with using using plants and using the internet the the i mean we're like the first generation that's living in the jungle but with internet so you can kind of you know put in the symptoms in google and figure out what's happening and and get all these answers and then go and get the plants <laughs> so that's been i think that's very important and in the little school that we have we are actually giving um medical classes to the kids because that's like that's one of their achilles heels in the, in uh, in the sierra is the medicine they're kind of having problems with the health so we're giving those classes uh, so that they can learn more of that is it uh, it must be a good place to use solar panels yeah we have solar energy we have solar energy and we have uh water from a from a river so from a spring and we have uh, the, uh, to- like uh, toilets that don't contaminate and we grow part of our food not all of it because pe- i mean pe- that's one of the first things that people go and live in the forest and they think they're going to be able to grow all their food and continue doing other projects <laughs> but you can only or you dedicate yourself to growing food or to other things but you can't really do both yeah, i think that that's an important lesson also because I, i i started growing food and it wasn't until i started growing food that i uh, started to gain more respect for food and realizing that if i wanted to like live off the food i was growing i would have to quit any other job i mean i couldn't like do that on the side it's like a full-time job to grow your own food it's a lot of work but uh, i think uh, uh, it's almost a shame when i because i'm i'm not that young anymore and it's only when i'm like live this long that i've come to understand and recognize what the leaves of the different 
vegetables look like when they're seed when they start popping up from the ground like to recognize that's tomato that's cucumber because like you don't really because they usually come in a plastic box in the shop you know you, you don't think about what it looks like when it's growing up uh, unless you're living in the uh, in farmland territory but if you've grown up in the city areas you, this is like completely new territory uh, so I think it's it sh- I mean it should be included in all all schools really they should be growing f- growing stuff oh uh, yeah my friend told me just a few days ago that the Mapuche of Chile they give uh, their chill I think it was the Mapuche they give their children like uh, at one at one moment and they and when they're like seven or something they give them a plant and they have to take care of one plant just one, just one plant. Put the seed, let it grow, take care of that plant, you know? That, just that process is, is really important. I remember when I, I grew cucumbers that uh, I, I, when, I, when I picked it and ate it, I realized that naturally they're warm when you eat them. Because I'm, I'm so used to getting them from the fridge that cucumber is supposed to be cold. Uh, but it tasted different when it was like warm straight from the plant. Uh, like small things like that is, is uh, you know, I think is wonderful when you discover because you, you realize you've been living in the dark if you just relied on the supermarket for food. Yes, yes. And and for example, yeah, you grow your food. So you grow your food and then... Uh, yeah, there's the, 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 when you have a cosecha, what do you call that? When you have to go pick the food, when you, the harvest, when there's the harvest, then you have to do this whole different process, which is like, generally you have to transform the food, which also takes a long time. So then I remember that at the beginning, my, my neighbors, they had uh, like 400 mango trees. And there was mango season and there was mangoes everywhere. But they were they would just eat the mangoes and not sell any mangoes. They they wouldn't sell any mangoes because it, they would have to take the mangoes down on a mule to the road. And the price that they were giving them for the mangoes wasn't worth, you know, taking them down to the road. So then it made me so anxious to see all of these mangoes rotting that... I started this thing called Mango Jam, where we, me and other people taught, taught them how to make conserves, how to make marmalade, mango chutney, uh, dehydrated mango. And we did that with uh, a few families, you know, around the region. And um, because it just, I, I don't know if it's a European thing, because it's completely different. The and I would speak to the of this about to about this to them because it's a completely different thing. In the tropics, you have food available, fresh food available most of the year, right? But in the in the in the areas where there's a winter, where there's the four seasons, there's a whole time of the year that there's no food. So that's why we made conserves in Europe. But in the they don't know they don't really do this in in latin america they don't conserve food if so so if there's excess what do you do 
you you share it you give it to everybody right you have if you have too much of something you go to your neighbors and give it to, to them and actually that's like a very customary thing in the sierra nevada whenever you go visit somebody you take like a few avocados or some uh, manioc or whatever you have available and um while in europe since we have only one season then we get everything and we make uh, marmalade for the whole winter but we don't share so much <laughs> you know that's yeah i live in the far north so I, I can only grow food like max six months even i i have a greenhouse but uh, i mean it's covered in snow half the year so uh, i have a limited so even if i did not have any job i could not grow my food Anyway, uh, I would have to, if I would have to get my own food during the winter, I would have to, had to be hunting or having animals or like that. But I couldn't do it with uh, vegetables. You know. No, you would make conserves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you would have to do that, yeah. And I, I did try that uh, this year for the first time, and I failed miserably. <laughs> I, I, they became way too salty, so I, trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um. But I think that you know, even in the tropics, they need they need to learn how to make conserves now because the with the uh, change in climate, you can you don't know if you're gonna have a good you know, in how many years there's gonna be a good season of certain fruits. Or vegetables, there's going to be droughts, etc. So it's going to become really important to be able to to also have some backup food. So every country is different, but when it comes to trying to live a bit off grid or do live doing your own thing, uh, how is it in Colombia? Do the authorities like uh, leave you alone, or are are they annoying somehow? No, I mean there's like I mean since ten years back, there's been I mean, Colombia has become less dangerous in the countryside. Before, like you can, where I'm living now, you can live 15 years ago. There was too much, uh, too many paramilitaries. <laughs> it was dangerous, right? And you know, too much war. But now, since Colombia has kind of chilled out, there's a peace agreement. A lot of people are going to are are coming out of the city, or there's a lot of Europeans or Americans buying land in the countryside and you know, doing the thing. And of course, yes, it's great because nobody cares what you do. <laughs> I mean, where I live, it's, there, it's like living in no man's land. There's no government present, no government, no governmental presence. So even when we have, we have to, so that's interesting too, because we have to deal with our own security. We live in, we live in huts that have no doors. And um, our security is our good relations with our neighbors, you know, and that's what's really interesting because that's that's the key. I think that's the key to being able to live in the countryside. You need to really have a, a community with whom you have nice, good, a good relationship and that you can't be the only one who has food and your neighbors don't have any food. You have to share somehow. So that's been like a, a really big lesson. And. We've had to deal with, you know, his issues of uh, theft or uh, we were held up once and you have to deal with all of this yourself and resolve it yourself. And, and um, you know, if there's an emergency, a snake bite, an, a bee attack, 
um, some kind of, you know, other types of dangers, everything has to be dealt on your own. And that's a really great lesson. You don't, I mean, in general, in Colombia, the police doesn't, useless pretty much everywhere. So that's like a general thing. And that's been, that's interesting too, of just living in a country like Colombia or Mexico is that you're kind of already, you know, living in a country that's more, that more of anarchy or less control, right? It's just, you're just doing things more on your own. And that makes you, you know, learn a lot, learn a lot. And, and there's not much tax taxes on that. You, you can live. There's, there's some taxes. You have to pay tax on land, but it's really low, you know, and you have taxes all the time everywhere. But uh, it's hard. It's also hard to get away from taxes here if you're going to use a bank and all of that, which everybody does today. But uh, if you're not, if if you're, I mean, you can really go off grid in Colombia. I mean, there's people here. We we're kind of like um, techno hippies. <laughs> like we we're kind of we we decided to move to the to this place when we could get the internet there because we needed to stay connect, connected and we have, you know, certain, certain luxuries like electricity and um, little things, you know, little, little, now we like, since last year we have little fans. So that's really exciting for us. We have a washing machine, which is like the best thing ever. So little things like that, but there's other uh, foreigners and people from Bogota city people who have decided to go up into the mountain and live like like hippie like uh, kogis completely they're called hippie kogis and they i know a woman she lives up like 7 hours up no like 2 days walking up from where i live and she has four kids and she's from bogota and she's been living there 10 years and raising living like a kogi you know and then drop completely dropped out of the system do you use like starlink or is it like wires internet we now have starlink yeah we had before we had to actually put a big antenna on our on our mountain to be able to get a signal down to our place but now there's starlink so we use that that's like our is it good internet yeah it's pretty good it's pretty good mm -hmm. you can like stream uh, things uh... yes we can stream yeah. we can stream it's great Works good. If there's like clouds, it's a little not as good, but it's pretty good most of the time. And um, and I also think it's good to have like like you said, if it's cloudy, it might not be good. But I'm also thinking that one problem with modern life is that we are. I don't know if it's good that we have everything all the time available all the time like uh, I like where I live you know I can buy mangoes all year round but naturally like normally I should not be able to do that uh, or like I do I really should I have the internet 24 7 like there's some beauty in the uh, in the like uh, uh, having less of things like not having everything all the time you know like ex it's like excess i don't know if, if that's good it, it uh, i see that with my kids they uh, uh, have 
I'm trying to train them to have more patience. Like they have very little patience because they can get everything in an instant. Yes. I mean, for example, living with solar energy is really good that way because you you're completely aware of like, oh, I can't, I have to turn the light off. I have to wash my clothes at noon. I have to be careful with the electricity. It's limited. It's not unlimited. And so that's been really, really good. And if it turns off, well, it turned off, you know, then we make a fire and we do something else. And electricity has become very expensive uh, these last two years. Uh, they say it's because of Ukraine. I don't know. It has nothing to do with it. But it, it, anyway, it's become very expensive. So during winter, it's very expensive. And uh, um, I hooked up a an off-grid system to my house. So if the grid goes down, as long as I have su- sun, I, I have electricity. Because um, if I don't... Uh, have this off-grid system if there is sun and the grid goes down i don't have electricity because the grid steals the s- solar energy and then gives it back to me so i have to have like a a block uh, like something that blocks that but when i install it the guy something went wrong so i i have um, uh, i have to redo it i'm waiting for winter to end because it's easier to do that when it's not so cold so so I've accidentally made it so I can't use the stove or the heat or the washing machine or any, anything because the uh, the fuse goes. Uh, and I can't y- have my heating on properly and it's very cold. But luckily I have an iron stove uh, and an open like uh, fireplace. So I've... Uh, by accident, uh, this winter I've been living like as if I almost have no electricity, and it's uh, and I've quite kind of enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it's an easy fix, but I I kind of enjoy like having to chop wood to have heating and to try and uh, not have everything turned on all the time. You know, uh, so I'm kind I'm kind of I I kind of enjoy um the the limitations yeah yeah i understand i mean it seems like a whole society western society is like the whole focus is based on comfort right and then we're just looking for comfort and comfort and um i don't know it seems it seems so superficial yeah but because when you when you chop your own wood and you make the fire and you manage to heat up the house and then you have the heat, you have comfort. But it's like uh, I made that comfort, you know, like it feels like I can enjoy it. I feel like a magician almost. Well, you also made some some physical work to, to get the comfort, you know. Not, it's not free comfort. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's beautiful. That's really nice. I'm thinking about also, you mentioned it's good to have uh, uh, something to use as money if things go bad. And, and I, I have a plan to get the honeybees. Uh, have you tried in, uh, having having bees? Uh, no, we had a little bit of the um, these bees that are from here. They're called angel bees from South America. They make a 
They're really, really small, and they make this honey that's very medicinal and very expensive. So we've only had a little bit of that. But, you know, it's like everything else. If you're not, if you don't have somebody dedicated to the bees, it's not going to work. Some, it's, even the chickens, you know, we had chickens for a long time, but then in the end there was nobody really in love with the chickens enough. <laughs> and so it was more of a hassle. So that's, that's the big lesson that you really, if you want to have the bees, you need to have somebody who's in love with that project who wants to have the bees. And um, my husband, he's a he's a he's a, he's a music producer, and I'm I'm doing some ceramics. I'm more into ceramics and the school. You know, we're like we're more dedicated to the school program that we have, which has worked out because we do the we do the school, and then our neighbors help us out with uh, you know sowing crops and bringing us cacao and 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 different things you know they help us out with different things so there's a there's exchange have you used cacao as ceremony like uh you can take if you take high amounts i've drank the the um, i've drank the cacao and that's uh like a you know strong cacao which it does make you you know a little happy and and uh wakes you up a lot but I'm not into those cacao ceremonies. I mean, there's such a huge scene of wellness in our, in our region, and I don't really, I don't know. I don't like it too much. It's like such very superficial. I feel it's very superficial, and people are making a lot of money and uh, mixing all kinds of things, and they really, a lot of people who don't know how to do things are doing them. And... Uh, Meanwhile, we have like people doing these really expensive $5,000 for four days or a week retreats and like very close by there's indigenous people who are, who are dying of malnutrition, you know? So it's like wellness for me, wellness for me and my friends. And, and there's no, there's no, you know, nobody's thinking about the community at large and and also, they're you know using a lot the image of the Kogi and the Arawako people, and doing these like cheat, you know, it's terrible. I often get requests from uh, I don't know if you know what ibogaine is. Uh huh. Um, but I, I I often get requests from ibogaine retreat centers to to be on the podcast, and every time I get a request, I always ask them. Where do you get your iboga from? Because ibogaine you extract from the iboga root, uh, and um, they they know when I ask that question that they're not going to get on the podcast because uh, iboga is a plant that's very hard to grow and it's endangered and and you can only get it in it grows really only in in uh, the Western Africa uh, and uh, the indigenous people take care of it and so they basically they're they're stealing it you know to have their expensive ibogaine retreats in of often it's costa rica uh, rather than like travel to africa and and pay the indigenous and get a proper iboga retreats ceremony you know right when i lived in mexico i used to eat a lot of peyote and the rule the rule 
you know, in the in between the people who ate peyote in Mexico was you go to the desert and cut your peyote and eat what you could eat in the desert. And you never eat it outside of the desert. And you never take it out, not even as a gift to your friends, you know. So because it's a, it's very scarce as well. So that was like the rule then over there. Of course, there's other plants that are more abundant, like uh, yahe um, or mushrooms. But it's also the way that things are being done, you know, and it's just for me, it's very offensive to see uh, uh, everybody preoccupied about their own health at their own. And then all of the people in the Sierra, you know, suffering for from malnutrition and anemia. So <clears throat> that's a little bit the issue. So if people want to check out your work or the school project on that, where can they do that? Yeah, we have a website. It's called Selvatorium. S-E-L-V-A-R-E-U-M dot C-O. Salvatorium, and uh, we have Instagram, Sel- uh, Lobito Salvatorium, and um, and actually we're doing we since we've had some issues uh, with funding, we're opening up the the space for foreigners and people just people to come and rent our rent house uh, two houses that we have there as a new way of financing ourselves because we've been trying to get funding even though we've We have a school for 20 kids. We've had it for four years, uh, you know, 10 months out of the year, every week, half day. It's like a really sturdy program that we have, but we haven't been able to get good funding. So now we said, oh man, we got to, you know, get our money ourselves. And so we're like uh, starting to to rent the space out and um, and just changing around the whole perspective of uh, creating like a a little community. We want to do family and residency program. So the idea is somebody who wants to learn about what it's like to live in the jungle in Colombia or or have like maybe to think about doing it on on their own in the future, but they don't know where to start. Or maybe somebody who just wants to have an experience with their kids. They can come to Salvatorium and they can stay for two months, three months and their kids are going to school because that's one of the biggest problems of people who go and live in nature is that sometimes there's no schools. Well, in Colombia, it's been a a big problem with all of our friends that moved to like different mountains around us. And, and then at one point they don't know where to send their kids to school. And then they end up going back to the towns and even in the towns, there's not good schools. So that's why we set up our school and that's what we want to offer, like an opportunity for families to come and live an experience and have their kids in school. Cool. And um, so I thought we were going to finish with uh, like some music. You had something you you could play. Can you tell, talk about what that is? Yeah, we have um, in a part of what we do in school because two of three two of our teachers are musicians, and my husband he's a music producer. So they've been creating some songs, and. Um, there we finished one song but it's it hasn't come out yet because it's for a documentary that hasn't come out <laughs> and the other songs are still in process but you can hear you can hear the song uh, in process which is uh, madre tierra it's 
called Madre Tierra, Mother Earth. And uh, it's, uh, uh, the lyrics are written by the children and uh, the composition is all made in Salvatorium. So that's the song that we want to share today with you. Well, thanks for, for being on the podcast. Okay, it was a, a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So happy. Freedom is in the mind. Mucha información, yo compongo esta canción para que la escuchen como una lección. 